right. Good morning, good morning. Hello again. Elementary kids and middle schoolers, go ahead and head to your designated areas of awesomeness. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Happy early Independence Day, America's birthday, exciting. The big two, four, six we're experiencing. She's getting up there, America is. Awesome. So, this week, this morning, we are beginning our uh, third discussion, right, in the body, all right? And what we're digging ourselves into is a biblical history from the body's perspective and what um, the Bible paints an extremely vivid picture of the body to communicate an extremely important truth of how the gospel is played out so that our joy in the gospel can be felt in the body and as a body. When the body is on board, things get real, right? I know this to be true in my own body. I know that good news can actually make my body come alive. Now, let's just, even in little ways, let's just say my wife um, comes up to me after church and is like, hey, you want to get Panda Express for lunch? There, well, yeah. We got paid not too long ago. We can splurge on going out to, going out to lunch. <laughs> anyway, but let's just say that happened, all right? There would be a felt surge of joy that passed through my body, all right? And then that would lead to joyful imagination, joyful emotions, joyful Thoughts like, I really hope the worker really gets their legs into that scoop of orange chicken. You know, you know you've been there. Don't get cheap on me. All right. And then ultimately, joyful action with other people. Her good news was felt, then shared. But, if, but then, if she said, was like, oh, actually, we should just have leftovers. Oh, just the hollowness, the despair that would then enter my body, just the sadness and just, just lowness. Oh, my goodness. I've been called a romantic, and I'm starting to understand why. Now, the truth is that good news only has this effect if I crave and desire the good news that is offered. You tracking with me? If your body is not hungry for a specific food or not hungry at all, you won't be too bummed about missing out, all right? Then if you are then told you must eat, your dining experience would be odd. It would be confusing, it would be laborious, and a lot of times it might just be downright unpleasant. 
In reality, this can describe Christianity for a lot of people. There has been a disruption of our appetite, our desire and craving for God and the calling that he has on our lives to fill the earth with his presence and beauty. This was the primary um, purpose for humanity in the garden. We talked about that week one. Last week, we read about nakedness, right? Being the first thing that disrupts and twists our perception of God when we recognize evil in our bodies, physically feel evil in our bodies when we feel not good. Right? We experience this disorienting effect of shame. It causes us to turn inward, right? To shrink away, to cover up, to hide. This distorted view of the self marries itself to a distorted view of God. So now we are afraid of God, right? Because he is a threat. That is where we left off last week. Um, And to that, we will need someone to bring us good news to our nakedness. We will need someone to save us, to heal us in our shame. Today, we are going to be taking a hard look at the human body in an even further state of decline. You might be asking what could be worse than feeling naked and the answer to that would be feeling nothing at all we're going to examine what leads not only to a disruption of our desire for god but to complete senselessness and unawares of god because it takes a specific type of body to lose such a sensitivity And the Bible gives us a picture of such a body this morning. From discovering our nakedness, God lays out the road to further decline. We have uh, verses up on the screen in Genesis 3, 16 through 19. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate 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 fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not uh, eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And then Genesis 3 is finished off by this defining moment. Put that extra slide up there. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken after he drove the man out he placed on the east side of the garden of eden 
cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Life is going to be different now. This isn't garden living anymore. This is wilderness living. That perfect, secure attachment, that shalom has been severed. Now life is going to be be more frustrating than fruitful. There will be pain and toil until ultimately our bodies fail. This is not good news. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. Remember those words. And being cut off from a garden leaves us with a familiar um, visual that we should be familiar with uh, since we spent a lot of time unpacking what it means to remain connected to Christ. When a branch is removed from the vine, it starts to dry up. It starts to die, and eventually it can do nothing. It is true for the human body. This week, we are going to be led to an image of the human body to illustrate that stark and grim reality. Our picture is dry bones. Dry bones for us this morning. Our bodies no bad news, guys. Our bodies no bad news uh, to the unfortunate degree that is death. We have been troubled by the reality of biological death for quite some time. We can't seem to get around it. It can happen suddenly, it can happen slowly, but no matter what, it never gets easier. But when the Bible uses this illustration of bones, of dry bones, it is meant to get our attention to another kind of death, and this one, according to God, is a more significant and severe type of death. That is a spiritual death. The body might be walking, talking, and appear to be alive. However, the truth is it is functionally dead. There is no sensitivity to God. And there is no desire to fill the world with his goodness, beauty, and light. If we flatline on these two things, we cannot in good conscience call ourselves alive. Now I have a question for um, someone in here. Preferably, I would like somebody from the medical field. Uh, Preferably somebody who actually takes care of Patients, is there anybody in here that is in the medical field who might do something like that? Because if not, then we're going to have to consider somebody who watches a lot of Grey's Anatomy. And if that happens, our level of expertise just kind of drops off and it wouldn't be as beneficial. So, uh, so you're being voluntold to, to answer questions. Okay. Okay. So let's just say you're in the hospital and somebody is wheeled in to your unit, is that, a, is that the right word? Floor, unit, something like, something like that. Now, they're unconscious. They have no breath. They have no pulse. Is there a procedure to help return that person back to life? Yes. To re- CPR. Are you confident 
Are you confident in that procedure as a helpful tool to resuscitate a person? Is that a, is that a good thing? It's trustworthy, all right? It's the thing to do, right? It's the thing to do. Awesome. Now, second question. You're not done. You're not done. Second question. Let's say somebody wheeled in a skeleton. Is there, <laughs> is there a procedure to return that person back to life? No. That individual's hope might just be gone. Because they are dry bones. That actually is the tall order that God has before him. So ends Genesis 3, right? Humanity is banished from the garden. But here's the interesting seed of hope. Guess who goes with them? God. God goes with them. You turn the page, guess who's talking? Humans and God again. It starts to get bad because the next generation, we get the first murder, so we're in a really rapid decline. However, God, we were banished from the garden. God did not banish himself from us. That's hopeful. That is good news. So, God in the rest of the Old Testament is characterized by God's continual efforts to resuscitate his people back to life, who are, like we said, declining fast. And if you get a rundown of just kind of rapid fire through the rest of the Old Testament, we see God administering CPR, checking for a pulse to really try to get these people back to life from saving Noah, from saving Noah and his family from the flood, establishing a covenant with Abraham, uh, rescuing his people from Egypt, giving Moses the Ten Commandments, setting up the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system, leading them to the promised land, uh, raising up a king to which God was like, you should think twice about that. And we're like, no, we're not going to. Let's do it anyway. Um, and then building the temple. God is trying to get a pulse in this spiritual life of his people. All the while, throughout the whole Old Testament, we are constantly, we constantly reminded that death is our unfortunate normal outside the garden. A lot of people are buried in the Old Testament. Then, something odd happens. And if you're doing a Bible in a year plan, you actually uh, most likely recently passed through this section. It seemed like it was working. God's people started to kind of get a pulse through all the ups and downs their things were looking up right it took some time but the spiritual life of god's people actually had a strong pulse at this point in history it really seemed like god um, had brought his people now the nation of israel back to life and on this side of the garden nonetheless things were looking pretty good right they just needed the right guy, the right king. In this, in this scenario, King David to 
allow uh, to help them do that. And by the time King David kicks over his throne to his son Solomon, life, spiritual life, was pretty good. Check out how life was like right around the time King Solomon takes over the throne in um, Israel. Got that up there. The people of Judah and Israel uh, were as numerous as the sands on the seashores. Shout out to Abraham. Yo, Abraham, we love you. Awesome. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. And Solomon ruled, there's our week one um, language, King Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. Solomon's daily provisions were 30 cores of the finest flour. Cores, break briefly. Cores is about 60 gallons, but then gallons are liquid. Dry stuff is used for different things, but a lot, okay? A lot. 60 cores uh, of the finest flour, or 30 cores of the finest flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and a hundred sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelle, roebucks, and choice fowl. For he ruled all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River from the uh, Tifsaw to Gaza and had peace. Here's a big part. Peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and, Is uh, Judah and Israel from Dan uh, to Beersheba lived in safety everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree if you're a farmer or even if you just shop at natural grocers that's good eating that's good living and we talked about how agricultural success is married to joy and god's provision this is a significant time in the life of the people it's a time to be excited about what god is doing they have a strong pulse you can almost smell the familiar aromas of the garden they are in a land that that was carved out just for them they are experiencing a thriving agricultural and economy they are ruling and sowing seeds of peace all around them life is good but for those who are familiar with the story, it doesn't last long. God's people have struggled with times of peace when there's not a whole lot to do but enjoy God, right? Just like from the garden. Not a whole lot to do but to work our gardens and to enjoy God. That some reason gets us really distressed and we start looking around for ways to tank it. That is true for what has happened is happening to Israel next. Um, this was just the deep breath before the plunge into further rebellion and greater sin and nakedness. And as, as I was reading, the last time reading through this, kind of this history of God's people, I was looking for like the, it was, we're on the rise, but where's the hinge point, right? Where's the part where it kind of teeters off and then starts to go downhill? Now there was some stuff kind of eroding uh, that track 
some past things that caught up with him. But in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, it starts off and just says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. And you start to get this one little seed of discontentment in God's people, one choice after another, and it leads to a very familiar scene. This can't be good. It's like the serpent slithered his way back into the garden once again and turned, his, turned the hearts of God's people. And generation after generation, God's people gave themselves to fervent worship of false gods, fake gods, and horrible acts of evil. But this time, it's on a national scale. How do you sum up this senseless evil? The nation of Israel was dead. God's people became the sad, sad picture of the body at its lowest dry bones. And this time, this time around, thousands upon thousands of people experienced banishment. As they were invaded, their cities burned to the ground, and they were carried off by more powerful nations. They go into exile and live as foreigners in strange lands. This is not good. But it is familiar. But then, that's where it's like, okay, serious, all that. And read Debbie Downer or anything like that. We do have a ray of hope in this. Because God goes with them. Remember, God goes with them. It is here we meet a man named Ezekiel. This guy was an aspiring priest back in Jerusalem, right? He was now five years in, five years into living as a captive in the nation of Babylon. Right around the time he would have been coming to age to be uh, instituted as a priest. Happy birthday to me, right? When that would that would have been just really distressing if I were Ezekiel. He is cut off from the hope of ever ministering to God's people. But oddly enough, God shows up. And he's like, I got you. Let's talk. I want to show you something. And God leads Ezekiel through these amazing visions that he is supposed to then take and give to Israel to again really resuscitate them back to life. And that vision is a vision of a more hopeful future. We are going to examine one of those visions as it pertains to our image of the body this morning. So if you would, we're all going to try to get it all, get it in there uh, together as we're looking at Bibles together. So go ahead, if you have a pew Bible, it is an, on page uh, 1240 in the pew Bibles. We're going to be in Ezekiel 37, verse 14 verses they are going to be up on the screen for folks like on facebook and things like that but for us who are here would love for you to be reading that in the bible uh, with us as we go along if you're familiar with this scene it is called the valley of dry bones Ezekiel describes it as this. 
The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy, which means give um, spiritually my bones. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and, I, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, and they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, may, you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord uh, that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Whew. Daily reading, I suggest. Amazing, amazing. This, friends, is a such a clear and concise picture of the gospel as it pertains to to our very real problem of death. These are not just bones, but they are dry bones. They have been there a while. But even with dry bones, God can create life. And here we see that it is not only talking about biological life that is important, but the spiritual life that we were created for. Yes, bones are coming back together, tendons are showing up, flesh is getting on the things, skin is covering it, but 
that might look amazing, but it's all for naught if the spirit does not enter the body. But the amazing thing about God is that he doesn't fail, and what he says will be true. The good news is that even with dry bones, he can say, hey, bro, you're going to pull through. Mosaic hasn't reached that point yet. But God, that's what he's in the business of. The Spirit will fill your body and make you alive. Two ways you can look at this. In this Spirit-inspired vision, it could lead you to see dry bones inside yourself or outside yourself. Both are worth looking at. If you have dry bones in your body where you are functionally dead to the presence and calling of God, there is good news. If you are overwhelmed by the present darkness surrounding us that proves that there are many pockets of our community that are filled with dry bones, there is good news to be delivered. God can make dry bones live. And the amazing thing is, it's not primarily about how or when, but it's all about who can bring life to the dry bones. And we're soon getting to what this is all about. Okay? We're soon getting to where what this whole sermon series hinges on. The introduction of someone extremely important. We have been looking through this dual lens as we examine the picture of the body with one lens pointing at the physical body and asking what's the big deal, right? And the other lens, we're focusing on the body of believers and we're asking what's the big deal. It will be time for us to direct both of those lenses to the body of Jesus Christ and ask, what's the big deal? That is why I'm super stoked uh, for next week when you get to hear from my brother Justin, who's going to answer those questions. It is Jesus Christ who gives us good news for our bodies, for our dry bones. It is Jesus who will give us the good news that we are meant to deliver as a body. Now, to give you a little bit of taste of what that good news is going to sound like, feel like, taste like, right? I want to share with you some of my favorite Old Testament uh, scriptures that I just would be, I would feel like, uh, I would regret not sharing uh, with you uh, before we wrap up today. The Old Testament com is committed to this illustration of dryness and lifeness to to. Um, to describe our situation, but there's amazing hope uh, in that. So if you go ahead and put up those verses, uh, in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, he says, I will give them an undivided heart, and I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. One of my absolute favorite verses in the whole Bible, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. It says, for 
forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And then finally in Isaiah 58 verse 11, I'm using the King James Version for this one because I love some wordage of it. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought, dryness, and make and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt uh, be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Like I said, the Bible is committed to this image of dryness to describe our situation, but in our situation, there is good news. A stream coming into that dry wasteland, a heart being put into us, removing the heart of dry stone and put into it a real heart of flesh that brings that spiritual life. And we get that amazing garden image to really get us excited for what is in store for us in the midst of our current dryness. Now, in a moment, we're going to take a few minutes as Kenny comes up and plays a little something, something, and maybe the whole band can get ready to allow the Spirit to communicate with his people. And we are asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Okay? We're asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to get our attention and show us dry bones. Show us the dry bones that we need to see, whether they are inside our body or they belong to a friend or a family member, or if these dry bones are, where, are what you see every time you look at the state of what God's people are doing or the state of uh, our community around us, show us where those dry bones are. They could be anywhere. What dry bones are waiting for the good news that they can be made alive. Now, I want you to, as we do, I'm going to take a couple minutes of just silence. Like I said, Kenny's going to uh, play something. I want you to hold on to those convictions. Write them down if you would like to. We still have a ways to go before we wrap up our church-wide discussions on the body. But when we do, we want to give you an opportunity to contribute what the Lord has spoken to you this morning. Okay? So our question, you can go ahead and put that up on the screen. Where is, where is God showing you dry bones? Where are these dry bones in our lives? Where are folks, where are areas that are waiting for the good news that they can be made alive? I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and we can have that time dedicated uh, to hearing from the Spirit. Father in heaven, thank you for opportunity to unpack Ezekiel's vision. And I pray that that vision would be vivid for us in our current time. We do have dry bones in our midst, inside of us, outside of us. We do pray that you would reveal those dry bones to us and we would believe the good news that they can be made alive.